Hi, and welcome back to This is the Revolution. My name is Aki. I am your lovely host. You can't tell I'm lovely, but you know it's true. And yeah, it's been a long time. I missed you. I know you missed me too. So yeah, let's just get this shit started. How many of you have ever felt personally victimized by Regina George? Yeah, so this episode is about Mean Girls, one of my favorite movies of all time. This actually is how the show started. It began as a idea five years ago about how to use Mean Girls as an example of overthrowing a government. So a special shout out to people from the student movements of the early 2010s. And a special shout out to Alexandra, Biola, and Beth coming out of that movement. Um, and helped inspire and uh, shape this concept. So yeah, I love Mean Girls. It was written by the legendary and occasionally racist Tina Fey of Saturday Night Live fame. So yeah, she's done a lot and I think has really helped define the awkward, self-aware and self-deprecating sense of humor of the millennial generation. She also wrote and acted in 30 Rock, a show about her time writing for the hit sketch show comedy Celebrity Mill Saturday Night Live. And she also comes out of another Celebrity Mill, the Chicago sketch comedy scene, uh, Second City Comedy Theater and Troupe. Tons of other notable alumni, including Bill Murray, Amy Poehler. Stephen Colbert, and a couple other white people that you you love. So the book is based on Queen Bees and Wannabes by Rosalind Wiseman. And that's a self-help book for parents seeking to help and understand their teenage daughters. Which is pretty wild. I feel like this is probably the most famous movie based on a self-help nonfiction book. The movie came out in April 2004. It's produced by Lauren Michaels, Canadian-American known for producing pretty much everything that white people love. Uh, it's talking like SNL, Portlandia, Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, Kids in the Hall, if you're old enough to know that. And you thought I was kidding too. You were like, oh, he's just being mean to white people again. But nope. Lauren Michaels is your god. So it takes place at a typical racially segregated American high school, high school split into your typical ethnically based cliques, the jocks, the burnouts, the nerdy Asians, the cool Asians, the unfriendly black hotties, the sexually active band geeks. And if you haven't seen the movie, you should know that I didn't make any of these up. These are actual cliques for the movie. Uh, thank you, Tina Fey. And above all of these are the clique of rich, attractive, vain, uh, preppy girls named the plastics. And the plastics are supposed to represent the worst perceptions and realities of teenage girl culture, pettiness, vanity, self-absorption, cruelty, also known as many of the, you know, qualities of our culture as a whole. Worth noting. Uh, and sitting atop the plastic throne beneath her two cronies is Regina George, the reigning queen of popularity. So the basic story is of uh, high school student Lindsay Lohan, played by Brittany Lohan, her twin sister from the movie Parent Trap. Just kidding. Uh, some people get that joke. But yeah, Lindsay Lohan stars as Katie Heron, a white girl raised uh, for 12 years in a suspiciously unnamed country in Africa. 
Katie's parents eventually had to give up on their dream of trying to save my people. I don't know. That's not what they were doing. Um, and decided to move back to America. And Katie's thrown into the cruel realities of uh, heavily racially segregated, worth mentioning again, American high school system. And which is real. Our high school systems are pretty segregated. I think there is a report showing that schools today in New York are more segregated now than they were like 50 years ago or something like that. Um, so yeah, America go. Yeah. Woo. So Katie immediately sees a bunch of comparisons between the animals of her unnamed African jungle land and the high school students around her. But luckily for Katie, she's immediately taken in by two outsiders. You have the slightly punk goth Janice and uh, her gay checkered shirt wearing best friend Damien. Watch it again. Damien's almost always wearing a checkered shirt. So they take her around and teach her the rules of the school just in time for Katie to be snatched up by the plastics and made protege to Queen Regina George. And Janice sees this as an opportunity to use Katie to sabotage the plastics from the inside. Katie's mission, becoming a plastic, is then momentarily interrupted, you know, by what what happens to a lot of us when we're trying to do the right thing or like, you know, get the job done. We fall in love. She uh has a crush on Aaron Samuels, the dreamy, beautiful, lovely, and also queer in real life. Boyfriend of Regina George. So anyone who knows anything about high school dynamics knows that this is a huge problem. And Regina is pissed off. She is not a fan of this. So Regina retaliates by kissing Aaron in front of Katie at a Halloween party. And Katie retaliates again back at Regina by fully committing to Janice's vengeful plan to destroy and topple the tyranny of Regina George. So Katie, Janice, and Damien all get together in a basement somewhere. I think uh, Janice's um, declare that Regina is a dictator and thus she can be defeated in the same way all dictators can be defeated by cutting off her resources. She believes that Regina's power is upheld by her high status man candy, Aaron Samuels, her hot body and her army of loyal skanks. Her words, not mine. So the group proceeds to strike and moves to replace Regina's face cleansing gel with foot cream and cut holes in one of her shirts to expose her bra in like the nipple area. Um, but both of these tactics backfire. Regina basically, you know, popularizes a new look uh, with having like holes cut in your shirt. And Aaron Samuels, the lovely, lovely man, is uh, a huge fan of the new face cream. Uh, this smells like peppermint. So Katie switches tactics and goes towards the uh, breaking of the bonds that Regina has with the plastics. So she begins to sabotage the plastics relationships with Regina, specifically focusing on Gretchen, Regina's number two. And that leads to the revelation of one of Regina's biggest and most important secrets that Regina this entire time has actually been cheating on man candy Aaron Samuels with another boy. And it also leads to one of my favorite moments in this movie and anything ever that exists under the sun and within human existence and civilization. And so this is um, Regina's number two, Gretchen, finally breaking down. 
that she ends her support. Why should Caesar get to stomp around like a giant while the rest of us try not to get smushed under his big feet? What's so great about Caesar? Brutus is just as cute as Caesar. Okay, Brutus is just as smart as Caesar. People totally like Brutus just as much as they like Caesar. And when did it become okay for one person to be the boss of everybody, huh? Because that's not what Rome is about. We should totally just stab Caesar! So eventually, Katie blurts out Regina's secret to Aaron, which leads to Aaron breaking up with Regina. And around the same time, she tricks Regina into eating fake nutritional bars that make her gain weight and further alienate her from the body-obsessed plastics. With her core resources gone, Regina crumbles and easily uh, is easily replaced by Katie, who has over time become increasingly like the tyrants that she once simply emulated. So you start seeing Regina... Um, feel isolated from the students that she once ruled over. And there's this huge embarrassing scene in the cafeteria where everyone laughs at Regina's weight gain, which is all sorts of screwed up. Um, and, you know, what, uh, definitely should be a moment in which we question at least some of Katie's actions. Um, but also Regina's pretty terrible. But also, yeah, girl world is terrifying and tough and influenced by all sorts of fucked up things from our messed up system, like fat phobia or the fetishization of teenage girls. So here we are. So a now defeated Regina launches her final counterattack and releases what's called the burn book. So that's a scrapbook of secrets, rumors, and insults. Um, just, you know, mess up things that they've collected about girls over time. And Regina claims that Katie was the creator of the book. And this leads to all-out chaos in the school. The junior girls are fighting each other, tearing themselves apart, becoming like the animals that Katie has long imagined them to be. And luckily, this is all calmed down by Liz Lemon. Um, I mean, Tina Fey. Uh, so Tina's Fey's character, uh, who's a teacher, ex- brings all the girls together and explains the underlying issue of the gossip culture in girls is essentially society rejecting any outward expression of rage or anger from girls. Uh, so she holds a healing session, which essentially brings peace to girl world. And Regina gets a finally in the future, you know, I think there's like a couple months or something down the line. Regina gets hit by a bus. Don't think about that. It's not that relevant, really. Uh, maybe it is. No, I don't think it is. Um, and eventually Regina um, moves on from her status and her downfall uh, and gets to express her rage and her strategic thinking through lacrosse. And she finds herself with a, a clique of people who actually holds her accountable to the things she says and does and, you know, roughs her up once in a while in a, in a way that, you know, we love, I guess, is because we push high school students to do team sports for some reason. Leadership, fun, teams, control. Um, so, yeah. Katie goes back to being a normal teenager in a slightly better learning environment. Unfortunately, she still lives in America. So, you know, her, her education will probably be substandard, especially her history education. But yeah, it's a happy ending. Uh, hey, please. That'll be relevant later. So the theory we're doing today is the idea of pillars of support. So pillars of support were uh, named, at least in the Western understanding, by Gene Sharp and really the Western um, 
I guess, more liberal progressive understanding of it. I think there are other understandings and writings of pillars of support, but I do think Gene Sharp has done a great job at really synthesizing this understanding and definitely don't want to knock that. Um, his book, Dictatorship Democracy, Changed My Life. Uh, he's a nonviolent theorist. He's done a lot of great research on social movements and how they can bring down uh, tyrannical governments. But he was also a pretty uh, fervent anti-communist and he was anti-state centralization of any kind. Which are two pretty big biases for anyone who's focused on uh, bringing about revolution. And I think it's worth examining, even if you agree with um, his sentiments. But yeah, and if you disagree with him, I also think his work is still worth examining anyway. Um, but it's worth knowing that he was, you know, heavily biased and, um, you know, would not support a lot of social movements that have historically brought liberation and, uh, more freedom to working people and poor people. So the theory is that tyrants and governments may appear powerful, but are actually held up by institutions and organizations made up of people who allow the system to function. That is police who patrol the streets of the tyrants, tax collectors who generate income for the government, news reporters who spread their message, and truck drivers and farmers who ensure that the people they rule can actually eat. These pillars uphold a dictator and serve as mechanisms in which people give up their consent to the powers that be. The system would not function without the people that make up the pillars that uphold the system. The job of movements is then to try to influence the people within those pillars and get them to obey disobey and refuse to carry out their function in upholding the system. Movements can pull pillars towards them by speaking to and directly recruiting members of pillars. They can use protests to win the masses of a pillar over, or they can join the pillars themselves and move the pillars from the inside. For example, an education system is a major pillar of any nation and teachers and principals are, are the people that operate and allow that pillar to function. So movements, we can talk to teachers, have one-on-ones with teachers, recruit them, do base building work with teachers, get them to join our organizations, right? And hopefully get them to recruit their coworkers into, into the movement. We can also alternatively go like the mass protest route, engaging these protests that speak directly to teachers and ask them to choose a side and force them to choose a side and join the movement like in mass. And we can also become teachers ourselves and recruit teachers more directly while potentially becoming leaders in teachers unions. And there is another way that movements can interact with pillars that I want to talk about quickly. And this is by looking at a pillar and examining whether or not you can actually move it in the first place. Like we talked about moving teachers, but what about police? What about media companies? So another way we can interact with a pillar is by alienating that pillar through protests and using those protests to show the public that this pillar is not on the side of the public itself. It's actually on the side of the regime, no matter what. So we can turn the public against pillars that uphold the regime. And to get even more in-depth, we can actually examine that pillars have pillars themselves. Themselves. Yeah. So, for example, the pillar of police in a society is upheld by the pillars of police unions or uh, the pillar of media companies is upheld by the funders of that media company and those that run ads with the media company. 
So we have a lot of way as a movement to interact with pillars and a dictator or government can also be isolated from these pillars as another form of um, attack through protests that expose the true nature of a government or a dictator. These protests publicly reveal the flaws and name the flaws and of the system, right? And the calls to action and the messaging. And they can also draw out the violence of the police and military and the inherent violence of the system. And there are, of course, other ways to interact with the pillars that are a little bit more unconventional. Uh, so military coups, for example, are often results of a group of officers seizing the military pillar of a government and using it to violently, violently suppress other pillars like political bureaucrats who control the functions of the state or newspapers that spread its message. Yeah, and really want to emphasize that the pillars are made of people. The pillars are made of people. And, you know, that. Uh, a pillar like bus drivers who occasionally drive um, prisoners from protest to prisons involves individual people who wake up in the morning, hopefully brush their teeth and shower and go to work and put on this uniform and they clock in their hours. And within those hours, they ensure that the system functions. And that's what we're talking about that we need to be able to move those people through mass action and protests, through one-on-one conversations, through moving media and stories to move away from the regime and stop doing that, stop clocking in that nine to five or doing it in a way that actually subverts the system. So obviously here, uh, Regina is our dictator and her pillars are named by Janice. So um, her pillars are her boyfriend, Aaron Samuels, and really her her army of followers and her plastics. So her her attractiveness, her conventionally good looks are not really what we would consider a pillar since it's not an institution that upholds her. Um, it's it's uh, it's a. Um, it's part of what upholds her image, um, but it's really upheld by people who believe that she's beautiful and thus believe that she deserves to rule. So Katie engages in actions that discredit Regina in the eyes of her followers and isolate her from her pillars. Once the isolation began, it was easier to move the other pillars. So Katie got secrets from her plastics and then used them to win over the pillar of Aaron Samuels and further destabilize Regina, uh, which also helped alienate Regina further from her her pillar of like the general uh, public of people who followed her. So this is how pillars like bureaucrats and other workers can help strengthen a movement by bringing knowledge or legitimacy um, to the movement afterwards and help them move other pillars. So a good modern example of this is the 2018-2019 Sudanese revolution and the overthrow of the dictator Omar al-Bashir who reigned over the nation for 30 years. So what started as a scattered protest, street protest, let's more organized resistance led by young women and Sudanese resistance committees. So these are small neighborhood organizations that had formed in 2013 that were engaged in um, civil resistance and committed to civil resistance in the long term against the regime. And these committees 
could be as small as having three or five people in a neighborhood. And the idea was they were just going to engage in the practice of this. And they were there and were quickly able to seize upon the moment and keep the protest going once they began. And these committees quickly reached for the pillars and joined forces with the Sudanese Professionals Association. So the SPA, an organization initially created by teachers, um, it was basically, uh, yeah, an organization that worked with and organized not only teachers, but journalists, lawyers, and doctors. And the idea was that teachers knew that they had power, but clearly not enough power to actually win over the system. So years earlier, around 2012, 2013, they had begun organizing and then realized that they should actually organize other pillars too, to strengthen their ability to exist under the government. So the association was moved into action by the protests and eventually adopted the movement's call for regime change after watching protesters being uh, beaten and shot. And they were removed by the rest of the movement. And the movement uh, grew and this led to larger protests, moving more people and more pillars away from the regime. And this eventually led to an occupation of a military headquarters, a move that basically polarized soldiers and forced the military to choose a side, the people or the dictator. So they chose the people. Um, and though the military briefly took power, they were met with even more protests and began what's uh, still an ongoing transition process to establish a democratic civilian government. Another example that's a lot more local and it's a little different is what we've seen with the movement for black lives and the broader movement for black liberation in the last year and the last couple of years, really. Um, so some institutions, in fact, most institutions, much like the systems that they uphold or the dictators they uphold are actually upheld by pillars themselves. So there are pillars within pillars. So most dictatorships rely on the police for police, uh, for, for policing. Yeah. As pillars. And so within the United States, which isn't a dictatorship, but kind of is when you think about the relationship between rich white people and pretty much everyone else in the country and how much power they have over us. So it's just a different kind of, um, you know, undemocratic system, but they, they rely on police. So the movement to challenge police has also been examining the pillars that uphold police themselves. So people have more recently targeted police unions who have fought against police reform and often protect murderous police officers. And people have also targeted schools, which have contracts with police um, departments, which provide payments to cops that come into schools for security and also provide police departments with like legitimacy where it's like, we are here, we are protecting the children with our guns and our abuse towards black students and disproportionate arrest of black students. And the movie actually shows a great flaw with how pillars of support have often been utilized. A purely pillars analysis without doing any other kind of analysis, without thinking about things from a class perspective, without thinking about what kind of system you are more deeply in terms of the economic, um, you know, setup of the system can often lead to miscalculating uh, revolutions, in my opinion. And I think that's backed up um, by the movie. <laughs> using Mean Girls to justify this, how uh, Katie quickly replaced Regina at the top of the pyramid uh, once Regina was gone. A pillar's only analysis can often lead 
to us taking down the pillars only temporarily and then knocking down the dictator and then the pillars just come back up to support something new, just as bad, even worse, maybe a little bit better than what we had before. So we saw that in Mean Girls, but we also saw that with um, a lot of the Arab Spring, particularly Egypt, where the military was able to seize power after the first successful revolution. And we also saw that in a lot of European countries that overthrew dictators during the color revolutions that are now dealing with pseudo-democratic capitalist systems that maintain and make many of the same inequalities uh, or uh, maintain and, you know, recreate many of the same inequalities as the previous dictators did. So, yeah, it is definitely a critique worth diving deeper into. I believe pillars pillars analysis is really important. Uh, we often talk about things as like, this is the system. We must tear the system down. I'm anti-establishment man. But the reality is a system, if we're going to actually tear it down, needs to be understood. Um, and I think the pillars is important is a useful way of understanding systems. And I think that we need to be engaged in that kind of analysis and thinking about what's all holding our current system and how do we actually move those people and those pieces away from the system? Um, what is that going to look like? Uh, and I'm going to cover more of how to do that throughout this show and how to interact with the pillars of support. But I want you all to start looking into that. I'll post some resources and also really want people who are already familiar with pillars of support to think about how pillars can have a, a more class-based, a more race-based analysis within it, where we're thinking about who are the people that we need to be moving first and foremost. Um, and how do we ensure that we can actually take down um, entire power systems and ensure the collapse of old power systems and the creation of new systems uh, run for and by working class people and oppressed people? Um, instead of allowing for uh, a new system that essentially keeps the same relations of power between peoples. So, yeah, I, I want people thinking about that as we get closer to, you know, what feels like more revolutionary and more revolutionary moments. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you all for joining. Thank you for the, your patience with me uh, for this other part of season one of This is the Revolution. Um, y'all are great. Y'all are dope. And much love. I know the winter is coming and the brutality of the world of police, of our government, of capitalism is weighing down upon a lot of us. So I just want to send y'all love wherever you are. And special shout out to West Philly and everything that's going on right now. Uh, much love to everybody. And definitely hope that people uh, turn out to support Anthony Smith, who was recently arrested by federal officers and targeted for helping to lead this movement and holding down this fight for years. So, yeah, that is the ask for today. If you can support, I'll put some ways in the notes for the episode. Have a wonderful revolution. The constitutional crisis might be a great time to bring up that your constitution sucks and maybe your democracy could be better or a democracy. Mm-hmm.